0: Turn your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. As you notice, the, the projector bulb went out again. Uh, last time the projector bulb went out, me and Jeff put the scaffolding up, and it was, what, three, three stories? And then we had to put the platform up there, and being up there didn't, didn't really scare us that much, but, but the scaffolding shaky. And we're not used to being on scaffolding. And then afterwards, somebody took a picture. I can't remember who it was that took a picture. And I didn't tell Amy I was getting up on that scaffolding because that's not my job requirements. The pulpit committee, when they called me 12 years ago, didn't say I had to change the bulb and the projector. But uh, she said, are you nuts? You're not, getting, you're, not, you're not doing that again. Stan said, I'll go. We're staying. Right like, Stan, you ain't scared, are you, Stan? As a matter of fact, he said he was going to get on the ladder and do it. I'm going to take pictures this time, (laughs) y'all. I'm going to take pictures, huh? Well, we have one. We have one now. Turn your Bibles again to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. This week, I I want to take a step back in the time. Have y'all ever, you know, when you're just letting your mind wander, have have you ever— thought about what it'd be like to be able to go back in time. And I'm not talking about the time of, like, your youth. Everybody wants to, you know, I'd like to go back to to when I was eight years old. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about go way back, way back to see the events that took place. Wouldn't y'all like to see everything that's taking place that we read about in Scripture? But I want to go back even further this morning, back to the time when Jesus hadn't come yet, but he was just being talked about. Coming, all the way back to that time and that day. I wish that we so we're going to take a step back this morning in in verse and scripture and thought. I want us to consider a writing that was written between seven hundred and forty BC and seven hundred BC. That's how old this writing is. I mean, we we have it in our brand new Bibles, and we don't you know intellectually think about how old this scripture and this text is, between 740 and 700 years B.C. Another thing, church, I want us to see uh, the prophetic characteristics of Christ this morning in in our scripture. Now, please understand that what I'm about to read was written 700 years before Jesus even came to this earth. There are over 330 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled while he walked on this earth. Now understand, the chances that one man could fulfill 20, just 20, is absolutely amazing. But he fulfilled them all. He fulfilled every single one of them. Jesus fulfilled them all because of this. Because he was, he is, and he will ever be the Son of the Most High God. Holy moly. Y- y'all, we just sang about Christmas time. Rick, you, you ready for me this time, right? L- let, me, let me say this again. Jesus fulfilled them all because he was, he is, and he will forever be the son of the most high God. Amen. I mean, y'all got to help me preach this morning. I mean, y'all are excited Christmas. We ha- we've had half our Christmas, but I'm still looking forward to the other half, you know, the in-law half. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so let's look. Isaiah chapter 9. <clears throat> Remember, this prophet's over 700 years old, old scripture. Isaiah writes, nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that for the, former, for the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor on the way of the sea to the land east of Jordan and to Galilee of the nations. Now, think with me here, y'all. How many of y'all have seen the news footage of what's going on in Israel That's where we are. But this was another terrible time. Another terrible time. Verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. Church, we live in a time of darkness. It's darker than I ever thought it'd be. As as I studied Scripture and I I came to understand that that Christ would return in the times of of Noah, like the times of Noah and the times of Sodom and Gomorrah, and I see what's taking place and see what Christians, even Christians, are accepting and and bringing into the pulpit. I never thought that it would get this dark before Jesus came. But it just gets darker and darker and darker. But you know the light that's inside of you will expose all that darkness? If you'll let it. Verse 3 says this, You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their burdensome yoke and the rod on their shoulders and the staff of their oppressor just as you did on the day of Midian. For the trampling of the boot of battle, and the bloody garments of war will be burdened, will be burned as fuel for the fire. Verse six: For a child will be born to for for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion dominion will, will be vast and its prosperity will never end. That's good news, church. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would be with us now. You would forgive us of our sins. You would bless the reading of your word, not because of the reader, but because of the words that spoke of you. God, we have 66 love letters in our hands that were written from from you to us. And God, I pray that you would help us to open our eyes this morning and to just see and expound on the Scripture, these beautiful words that we've just read that talk about you. Jesus, help us to feel your presence. Holy Spirit, move in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name I do pray. And all God's children said, Amen. amen. This morning, I want us to first think about the times that were taking place as we go back, as we step back in this time period. What was taking place in Israel at this time, the time in which Isaiah wrote this? Now, first thing I want you to understand is this. The Hebrew children occupied the promised land at this time, but they they occupied it with pride and great arrogance. They, they were the chosen people. They were. and And... This is how God chose them to be the chosen people in humility. Not, I am, we, hey, we are the chosen people. No, that's not what God, God did. God chose them to humbly lead people to his throne. But they were an arrogant, prideful people. That pointed their fingers, stuck their nose up in the air. you're You're not good enough for us. Their neighbors, who who were their neighbors? That they hated so much? Well, the, the, the Gentile nations, but you know they they treated them like trash. Unless you were a Jew, you were considered trash to them. They wouldn't sit with you, they wouldn't eat a meal with you. They wouldn't speak with you at the city gates unless you were a Jew. They ruled with pride and arrogance, and God had had enough, and Isaiah was coming on the scene, he was he was going to tell them exactly what God was going to do. And as you know, as we've learned in Journey Through the Bible and the life of Christ on Wednesday nights, li- listen, nobody liked to see a prophet come to town, but Isaiah had arrived, and he told but in the midst of what was getting ready to take place, he gives them this beautiful scripture in chapter, uh, chapter uh, number 9, verse 6, about the coming of the Messiah. Now, we also see that Isaiah was called to proclaim Israel's total destruction by Syria. Now, it, it was a time coming, but it was prophesied. You know, it, it always amazes me as I study. Scripture, that even though God raises a prophet to come into these cities, and you, you have to be bold when you walk into a, to a city, any city, and give the proclamation of the Lord, that they didn't believe it. Barbara, they didn't believe it. Oh, listen, God, God's going to bless us. You know, God, my God's going to bless me. You have to understand that if you turn your back on God, especially now, if you turn your, your, your back on Jesus and your face to God, you're not going to be blessed. You will not understand what the full meaning of blessings are if you turn your face from God. And that's exactly what the Hebrew children have done, that God's chosen people had done. They turned their back on God, and the traditions of the Jews were more important than the laws of God to them. The, the, the Brother Phil, I mean, I mean uh, Brother Glenn, it, it was more important to them not to spit on the ground or walk more than a short distance than it was to give to God. What God was truly deserving. He also prophesied that out of the destruction would come their Redeemer. I'm sorry, Glenn, I ain't going to do that again. (laughs) A Redeemer would come. Do you understand that we still need that Redeemer today? All of us do. Do you know why the world is getting darker and darker? It's because they won't acknowledge and proclaim and accept the Redeemer that God's talking about in this Scripture that is so old to us today. This was a dark time in the history of the Hebrew children. John Phillips says this about the day that we're talking about this morning. He says, on this day, Isaiah is speaking of an apostate Israel and Pekai her king. Pekai was an evil king. He he began to to rule this kingdom of Israel by assassinating the former king for whom he served as the chief officer in the army and and taking over his throne. He reigned for 20 years before he himself was assassinated by the son of Eli. Before he was killed, however, some events took place that that had a huge impact on the nation of Israel and also on the world. So what what are these prophecies and these characteristics that we see in Isaiah chapter 9? What is it that we see? I mean, it's just our focus on chapters, there's just a few short words here. How many prophecies do we see here? Well, again, you, you do realize that more than 700 years before Christ entered this world, he was prophesied to come as a child. Very distinct. I mean, Narrated everything that he was coming as a child. Now, you know, one of the problems the Jews had with Jesus. Was how he came, supposedly came in their mindset. They thought that he was going to come in as a conquering king. He was going to wipe out the Romans. He was going to set Drew, the, the Hebrew children on high and he was going to rule all the nations. Their thoughts were not God's thoughts, just as ours aren't so many times. Well, God, why, why are you doing it this way? Well, he's God, he can do it any way he wants to. God, God, you know, why did you allow this to happen? Well, you know, God can do what He wants to. His plans and His purposes don't always line up with ours, even today. You know, a great way to look at that is the relationship with your wife or your husband, because that's that's who we are. We are the bride of Christ. You know, I, I'll make plans sometimes. I, I, I'll I'll go out of my way to you know plan something, and I, I'll I'll bring my plans to Amy and she'll say nah we ain't doing it that way we're not doing it that way as a matter of fact y'all I want to make, I make uh, uh, public profession to you right now y'all ready your pastor I love to cook and I cook the majority of things in my house I do because I like to eat at 5 o'clock when Amy comes home and she's ready to eat too but there's one thing your pastor's never going to make again you hear me I told, I told Amy, look at her, she's, yep, one of her favorite things to eat at Christmas and Thanksgiving time is dressing, dressing, and, and I took it upon myself because she was so busy with the grandchildren, and everything. I, I, I made the dressing yesterday, I ain't doing that again, I don't know if I put too many breadcrumbs in, I don't know if I put too much uh, uh, sage in, I, I don't know what it was, but it, 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 was, it was okay, it was not good. It was just okay. And what made it okay was the, the, the gravy that you put on top of. it. Without that gravy, I wouldn't have given it to my dog. And if I would have given it to my dog, my dog wouldn't have eaten it. <laughs> well, what are you saying, Brother Kyle? How does this, I, I know my limitations. I know my plans. And my plans with dressing don't involve Amy anymore. She is in charge 100% of any time we make dressing. And I'm good with that. Really, because she makes it better. That's how it is with God. We get all upset when our plans are changed or our, you know, the way we thought that things were going to happen and, and we get, so, until we sit down at the dinner table. And we say, man, this is good, God. I, I, I didn't realize you were going to do this. Trust Him. Trust Him. He, he knows what's best for us. He wants to give us the best, not the worst. So many times in Scripture we see where something has meant, something's happened to the characters in the Bible that they thought was just a horrible thing, and God says, just wait, man, I'm going to turn this thing to good. And that's who God is, and that's what God does. So we see unto us a child was born. They didn't see that this was, you know, God can't do this. God should come in human form. No, no, no. They wouldn't accept it, but their way was not. God's way. We see two things with the first first two characteristics of the prophesied child. It says, for unto us a child is born. What what does that mean? God is showing us the humanity of Christ with a child. A baby changes everything. Amen? A baby changes everything. Do Do you know that When a child is conceived and growing in its mother's womb, it might have been an absolute horrible accident. It was a mistake, you know, but God doesn't make mistakes. We make mistakes. God has never made a mistake. So as we look at the child, a child is born, we see the humanity of Christ. But as we look at the next little verse that says, Unto us a son is given, we see now see the deity of Christ. Amen? Why is that so important? Well, you know, there's this religion or cult called the Muslim faith, and and they say in their scripture, a lot of their scripture is, is identical to ours, but there's some, there's a lot that's nowhere close to ours. Y'all, y'all with me? In the Quran, in Surah, chapter one twelve, it says that God can have. No son. My Bible says that unto us a child was born, unto us a son was given. Well, what, what, are you, what are you saying here, Brother Kyle? Do you see with this one scripture alone that we see God has always fully intended to send his son, who, who was all God and all man, to redeem fallen man? He's always planned that, 700 years before he came. Church, we still need this Redeemer today. I need him every day. Every single day I need my Redeemer. And I'm so glad my Redeemer lives, amen? There's something else we need to see in this church. That this is love, true love that God has for us. Jesus was not a plan B. He wasn't the plan. Well, I'm going to create this this group of people. I'm going to raise them from a pagan named Abram. Abram, he's going to do this. His daddy should have taken them all the way to the promised land, but he stopped. And and so I had to get Abram, and and Abram took them all the way. And I created this group of people, and I wanted them to be so holy, but they wouldn't listen to me all throughout the Old Testament. I called them back to me, come return to me, and they wouldn't return to me. They'd come for just a short period of time, and then they'd fall back, and they'd come back for. A short period of time and they'd fall back. I'd give them kings. I gave them prophets. I- I'm-, I'm tired of all this. I- let's-, let's go. We're going to pl- come up with a plan B. No. Jesus was not plan B. He was always coming and always seen in Scripture. But there's something else that we need to see here this morning <clears throat> in these prophetic characteristics. It's the government shall rest upon his shoulders. Now, Y'all know at Christmas time we have, you, you go to the stores and you see those snow globes, right? And there's all kind of different snow globes. I mean, is there a snow globe where Jesus is standing there, kind of like in, in Brazil, where, you know, we, where he's standing out like this and, you know, he's got the go- government on? No, that's, that's not what he's talking about here. Well, kind of, but not, not really. What does this verse mean? John Gill described this verse this way not only of the world in general, but of the church in particular, this child is born to royal dignity. He is king of saints. His government consists in ruling in the hearts of people and enacting laws for them and causing them to submit unto them. What this scripture is talking about Is the governing of the gospel through the church. See that picture? The governing of the gospel of Jesus Christ through his bride, which is us, the church. That's good stuff, isn't it? Church, listen Christ will be our dependent, he'll be our dependent. No more, listen, no more stone tablets, no, no more, if you, go, if you go to Monticello, Kentucky, and we've got a, a former resident back over here with us joining us this morning, where I was a, a youth pastor for two and a half years, you go into a lot of those little churches and you'll walk through the doors and you'll see these, these plaques on the walls that some carpenter has made of the Ten Commandments. No longer are they written on the walls to be adorned, they're written on the hearts of man now, church. Don't you realize that when the Holy Spirit came and dwelt you when you accepted Christ as your personal Savior? The laws and commands of God are now written on your heart. I love my Bible. I don't ever want to lose this Bible. This Bible is special to me. My last pastor that I served under before I became a pastor gave me this this Bible. Dr. Jerry White gave me this Bible. But do you know the Word of God is written on my heart? That's why it's so important to, to read it and study it and, and to just feast on the Word of God. That's what's happened when we see the government, government rests on his shoulders. But we see something else in verse 6. We see these two words side by side, wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. What could that mean? What, what, you know, how could that have a, a prophetic characteristic? Let me ask you a question, church. Y'all paying attention? Don't be, don't be anybody sleeping now. Anyone here ever have any problems? <laughs> is there anybody here who ha- has, has never had any problems? We've all had problems, right? I, and I can imagine, I can imagine there is somebody here who has gone to counseling. Some of y'all have come to me for counseling. Some of y'all probably need to come to me for counseling. The layman's commentary says, wonderful counselor refers to Christ as all wise in his plans and his purpose. What that means is this, he has the answer. He has the answer. You know, if you go to a professional counselor, whether they're a Christian counselor or just a, you know, a counselor who has a degree hanging on the wall. And you sit down and they might have one of those loungers and say, just lay down on the lounger. Tell, tell me what's going on in your life. And, and as, they, as you tell them what's going on in your life, they're, they're sitting there taking notes and, and they are diagnosing, they're, they're coming up with a prescription in their head of what you need to do to make your life better, to, to feel better, to, to, to be able to function in life, whether it be medically or, or I mean, uh, through a pill or, or just uh, change something in your diet or, or just, you know, go for a long walk. They're coming up with a prescription in their mind. And they listen to everything you have to say. And some of them might have to go, and, and, and they might have to go and, and get a book off their shelf. And say, okay, he's got this, and they're doing this, and, and she's got hiccups, and she can't quit. She can't keep, quit. I mean, the hiccups are just driving her crazy. When we look at the verse, wonderful counselor. Do you realize, Church? Do you, I mean, y'all ought to get excited about it. Do, do you realize that when you just kneel on your knees and say, "Lord Jesus," He knows what you need. He He has the prescription. He's got the antidote. He is ready for you to come to Him because He is the wonderful Counselor. And it's not a matter. Oh, well, I, I I hope that Jesus can fix me. He can fix you. All you have to do is lay down on the couch. All you have to do is come to Him. He is the wonderful counselor. He has the answers to every single thing, every problem, past, present, and future. He, know, he knows what you're going to get into this week. Do you know? Do you know that, that he has a plan? Church, don't you love people who have a better plan? Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You'll you'll meet with a committee or you'll you'll go somewhere. We we had family members. This always happened. It always happened every single Thanksgiving. And I learned a great lesson from my Uncle Jerry. Every Thanksgiving, we'd have Thanksgiving dinner on Thursday. We we would have a barbecue for the whole family on Friday. And Saturday, all of the family would try to go to Ella's restaurant in Calabash, North Carolina, to eat. And this is what would happen. Every single year. Every single year this would happen, Desi, without fail. Well, what time are we gonna go? What, what time are we gonna go? Well, I mean, you know, the, the ants would say, well, let, let, let's, let's go about six. Let's go about, let's go about seven. And, and they'd sit there and talk, and and it'd get close to time to go, and and my uncle Jerry, well, he would say, he'd say, what, what, what? What? Time, are we all going? Well, let's let's go about eight. He says, "Listen, no, listen, bye, bye, I'm going. I'm I'm going. I'm, I'm done waiting. God has a plan. I like this plan. I'm sticking to this plan. There's no better plan." Do you hear me? There wasn't a plan B. This was always God's intention. I like it. Well, Brother Kyle, you know, I I, I just I just don't I don't know. Oprah says there's more than one way. Oprah Oprah's told us that there's more than one way to God. And, And Steve Harvey, Steve Harvey said, you know, there's there's more, there's got to be more than one way to God. Well, Steve, Steve and Oprah, I, God's word says there's only one way, and, and I, I appreciate your your status, but I'll choose God. I trust God more than I trust you, and always will. But Isaiah says another gives us another characteristic. He says, "Mighty God, mighty God." Now listen. I don't know if people have gotten this text wrong because when you get mad or slam your finger or something, you'll say, God Almighty, you need to understand that you're, you're taking God's name in vain. Do you hear me? This is saying mighty God, Might, mighty God. This characteristic characteristic of Christ tells us that he was the power, he has the power to execute his plans. Not only does he have a plan, he's going to execute it to the very T. Now, we need to understand this because Satan may oppose him, but (coughs) but he cannot defeat him in any form. Church, what does that mean to us? You're going to be attacked, but you can't be defeated. You can be rubbed wrong, but you're never going to be thrown down. Why? Because Jesus is is alive in you and always alive in you because he's the mighty God. Do you realize that because we have accepted Christ, we may give in to temptations here on this earth, but Satan cannot undo the plans of our mighty God. He can't do it. He can't steal what God has given to you. What it must feel like to be Satan, to manipulate Christians the way he does, and to thumb his nose at God, and for Jesus to look down at him and say, yep, they did it, they failed, they, they really dropped the ball here, but they're still mine, and you can't have them. Why? Because he's a mighty God. You serve a mighty God. You really do. There's two more. Can, can y'all hold on for two more? Y'all ready? Are you ready? Help me, church. Y'all ready? Okay, thank you. Isaiah tells us that he is the everlasting Father. Now, this characteristic doesn't imply that Jesus is the Father. All three parts of the Trinity are in and of themselves. Warren Weersby says a better translation for the, from the Greek would be... Father everlasting. Father everlasting. Church, this does though imply that there is no possibility of eternal life apart from Christ. None. So if you're looking for a plan C, you're in trouble. You really are. Do you get this? A prophet some 700 years before Christ stepped foot on the earth, proclaimed that Christ himself would do what what he did and what we see in John chapter 3. I am whosoever, church. I am whosoever. He is my everlasting father. Last characteristic we see in Isaiah 6. I mean, Isaiah 9 verse 6 is this. He is the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. This characteristic gives reference to the coming millennial reign of Christ where there will be perfect peace. I'm looking forward to that. I I hope you are. But it also refers to what takes place in the life of a believer when he allows Christ to transform his life. Peace abides in you, and and it's all because of him. I I don't understand it, but I accept it. It it really, it it doesn't make any sense whatsoever at all, but it makes perfect sense, Justin. It it doesn't matter how bad my day gets. And this, this, this past week was a little rough. It doesn't matter how bad my day gets. It doesn't matter who, who shows up, and Becky knows who shows up Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It, it, you know Sometimes I'm like, oh, golly. <laughs> Aren't I, Becky? It doesn't matter what happens in your life, in my life. So, sometimes I, I'll open my office door, and, I, and I'll just start walking down the hall. I'll speak to Becky, and I'll just keep walking. And I'll cut the corner through the social hall, up through the kitchen, and I'll walk in here. And you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll hum to myself because I don't want Becky to hear me singing. I'll hum or whistle to myself as I walk, through the san- walk into the sanctuary. And, and I'll get in here and sometimes I'll stand there, sometimes I'll get up here behind the pulpit, and I'll just raise my hands and I'll just, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, there's just something about that. And you know what happens as I'm singing? Uh, You know what happens? A peace comes over my heart. You know why? Because he is the prince of peace. It doesn't matter what happens. He brings about that peace. Because I am his and he is mine. Church, I don't know about you, but after hearing of all the world's religions and what all the world has to offer, this is the best deal. Do you hear me? My God doesn't ask me to die for him. My God died for me. This is the best deal. We serve a Savior who gave up heaven To redeem us. Why would he do that? I wouldn't have done that for me. But he left heaven to redeem us. He spent his whole life without sin, preaching and teaching that we might have confidence in who he said he was. He paid a price on Calvary that I owed. He is alive today interceding for me personally to the Father. Can I I ask you, if you call yourself a Christian, what in the world do we have to complain about? Church, will you this morning come down here and praise Christ who was given, the, he's, he's given us these characteristics that, that, that only he could meet up to. He is, he was, and he can never be denied because these words were written 700 years before he came and he fulfilled them all and is continuing to fulfill who he is. Amen? Let's all stand. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Our Father, please be with us right now during this time of invitation. Lord, if there be one here this morning who's never accepted you as their personal Savior, God, I pray that they will be the day that they accept Christ. Lord, be with us. Help us to feel your presence and to move in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name, we do pray. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, do you need to come and just spend some time at the altar? Will you come as the music plays? If you're here this morning and you want to accept Jesus as your personal Savior, listen, I promise you, you, you've never experienced Christmas until you're a Christian. If you come down here to this altar, I'll show you what the Word of God says each person must do to be born again. Will you come?